0: Friends, welcome to episode twenty-eight of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master, learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller, learning to take looking to take your game to the next level.
1: <laughs> I am Sarah. Yeah, and, and I think that drink's getting to you a little bit, Sarah. I literally have
0: one tiny sip of it. Yeah, I don't I know. think we're there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> we're
1: not there yet. But we are. Drinking just to be aware. We are we are we are not suggesting that anybody on our show do this in an open way. We're not telling you intoxicate yourself in any way. But we thought that because today is one of our listener appreciation days, in the sense that uh, Knox suggested us to talk about some of our favorite things, we would have a, a small drink. So yeah, uh, I have
0: a little. I've little, got a
1: little rum here to spice up mine.
0: I've got a tiny little bit of sake to. Okay. Uh, to spice up mine. All right, all right. And uh, no, so to, to to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, uh, our topic for the evening is uh comes to us from our one of our uh, patreons, um, Knox in the Box. You've heard him mention him in several of the shows because he's a uh, contributor to our show. Now there are several different contribution levels that we have set up on our Patreon, and at the uh current top at the the current top level. Uh, um, slot. Slot. The One of the benefits of being in that top-level slot and contributing to the show quite as much as Knox does for us is uh, the ability to suggest one show topic per month. Yep. And uh, so Knox lent us uh, a, a very good show topic. Mm-hmm. And um, – it's it sounds self indulgent. It does on the surface. He wants us to just talk about our uh, our favorite games and what we love about them. But I really like this topic because whereas it does kind of self, sound self indulgent on the on, on the surface, it lends itself to a much larger discussion of what makes a good game system and what attracts us to these sort of things. So, yes. um, you are going to hear an entire show of Rob and I fanboy slash girling about. A couple of different game systems here.
1: Indeed. And uh, one of the things, one of the ground rules we set so that it doesn't take us (laughs) (laughs) literally an hour just to fanboy and fangirl is we are not going to talk about the one time or put in any flavor about the different – uh, games we've actually played, in-session stuff. So we're not going to talk about the times when this character did that or the game system had this or whatever. We're just going to try and talk about the systems and I, it's going to be exceptionally hard, like it's sitting on your hands when you're Italian, which is me. So, <laughs> um, so sit back, relax, and pre- be prepared to learn a little bit about two new systems. Um, I am going to say – Ladies first. Are you sure? I am dead positive.
0: All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You do have this.
1: you have fifteen minutes and a five minute wrap up. I will ask questions along the way where appropriate.
0: All right. So um, y'all have heard me opine about the Aeon verse in the past. This is a uh, trio of games by White Wolf Games. Um, I would like to tonight specifically address the first chronologically in the, uh, the those game systems. Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society.
1: Hold on. We have to do this right.
0: Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. (laughs) That is the
1: way it should be done.
0: Yes. Um, It is pulp. It is pulp. So uh, it's a pulp pulp adventure style storytelling game. What's pulp? So what Pulp is is essentially it's, uh, it's your larger-than-life, over-the-top action-style heroes. Um, but at their core, these heroes are still human. So we're not talking superheroes. We're talking um, – like great examples of uh, Pulp heroes are uh, like uh, the Phantom, the Shadow who can cloud men's minds, mm. um, Doc Savage. Uh, Indiana Jones I think is a great Pulp hero um that that's no that's, i think it's a solid pulp it's hero it's a very solid, very solid pulp hero you know um and, and to that what i'll say is uh you know like indiana jones has this whip where he can you know no one ever questions it it's accepted as reality that he can lash his whip around any outcrop or chandelier or whatever it will without fail wrap around it sturdily he can swing from it then it will bear his weight until he gets to the end and then with a flick of his wrist it will come right off this is just accepted reality and I defy you to t- actually don't, don't try this in real life. <laughs> Do not try it. The resultant injuries and torn down chandeliers that were never meant to bear the weight of a human will, uh, Inevitably, get me some lawsuits. Uh, Probably.
1: probably. Let's be honest. But it's
0: it's kind of about those style of over-the-top heroes that are still intrinsically human but something a little extra. And Dick Tracy is exceptionally pulp. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievably exceptionally pulp. Hugely pulp. So um, uh, two other other categories that that kind of nudge in on pulp is like noir – um, noir feels like pulp in in a lot of ways, but um, because you still got those kind of larger than life heroes that are intrinsically human, but noir is dark pulp essentially. Yeah. Um. You're, where you don't get your happy endings, and you know, Sin pe- City people don't die in in heroic ways or get thwarted; they die with one regrettable cold gunshot in a rainy alley. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it's it's the other side of pulp that that we all know of and again mm. a lot of this has to do
1: with mood mm-hmm. it has to sit like Casablanca has a ten, has a dark uh noir feel to it but it is still pulp it still has a lot of that pulp feel to it yeah um yeah. so anytime you think of like the dark uh detective stories a lot of that would be uh, noir would mm-hmm. be a good way of thinking. So, if you're thinking of something, if you're thinking of running a campaign in adventure, and you want it to be almost like a to have like a jazz undertone, and the rain constantly falling, and shadows hard, that's noir.
0: That's you're, noir. You're yeah. in noir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, for for pulp, you kind of want that that uplifting sort of you know hopeful vibe to things, which is I yeah. think a future topic of ours. Yeah. Um. Of of how to really kind of bring that about and differentiate, you know, set that mood. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, you know, it, basically, if you're looking to tell a story about Nazi robot invasion from the dark side of the moon, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a great pulp plot. I think I think it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to see, uh, if you've ever seen the movie like Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, uh, Rocketeer, the Rocketeer, Rocketeer these was perfect, perfect, yeah, perfect examples of of where what sort of game you're going to get out of Adventure Tales of the AN Society. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Um. So uh things that i love about adventure <laughs> um so first off i i think the backstory um yeah, you're adventure, pretty much like the, in love the, with the, the backstory the setting the setting and the characters um I, I it's one of those uh settings where it, the, i i think white wolf excels at this particular sort of sort of setting where it's it would almost make a better movie or set of novels because it's so in depth um, but uh, what what essentially happens to set up the setting is that it's it's modern or, or not modern uh, but it's like 1920s okay, mm-hmm. um and it's uh, I think I think it takes place in 1928 is like when the game starts technically so it's like around 1926 or so there is a um inventor named uh I want to say it's Robert Hammersmith I know his last name was Hammersmith. <clears throat> And Hammersmith has this theory about uh, something he calls telluric energy, um, which is essentially a type of energy that comes from raw potential. And we're not talking about potential energy. We're talking about stuff that hasn't been created yet, like the raw creativity of the universe. And he thinks he's found a way to tap into that. And if you can, since you're not changing one type of energy to another, you're literally drawing – Energy that did not exist into the world and making it exist, you can essentially create perpetual motion. So he's got this great idea. He's got this this hammer machine that's going to create perpetual motion. Um, like a lot of those sort of old style pulpy sort of things, you know, um, your scientists were were men of high society. So he invites all sorts of other rich, you know, influential men of high society to uh, to his mansion. To see the the revelation of this Hammersmith um, device, and so everybody's there in the showroom. He flips this thing on, and it explodes. Oopsie! Whoopsie. I mean, <laughs> violently explodes, killing several people. Um, now, amongst the people who were there uh, <laughs> are a, a man by the name of Michael Donegal, and a man by the name of Matthew, or sorry, uh, uh, Maxwell Anderson Mercer. And Mercer disappears. This is the Max Mercer effect. Very different. (laughs) Yeah, the Max Mercer effect, right. Very different. uh, So Maxwell Mercer um, disappears, not is killed. There is no trace of him. Um, Michael Donegal, who was also there, who is his like best friend and uh, uh, confidant in arms. And if you dig deep enough into the lore, it was an unrequited love. Um had or had an unrequited love for uh for, yeah. for Maxwell. Yes. Um but uh spends his 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 life's fortune essentially for the next year swearing that Maxwell is not dead. That he's somewhere and searching for him and searches the globe before him mm-hmm. um and cannot find him. And a year later, Maxwell just comes back mm-hmm. and he says, I've been to the future. The, the, the explosion the the experiment sent me spiraling through time and I've seen the future not just seen it, I've been there and such great and wondrous things are ahead for humanity mm-hmm. and the the explosion has released a burst of what we call you know that that telluric energy or z waves mm-hmm. into the you know in, into the world and introduced all this potential, all this raw creation, this mm-hmm. this um, this inspiration. And certain people have become, you know, inspired by it. They've become larger than life. They've become so much more than human but still intrinsically human. And he says, I want to gather these people up and I want to, you know, form a society, um, which he calls the Aeon Society for Gentlemen. And I want us to essentially guide humanity kind of from the shadows, from from the rear and just kind of subtly nudge them towards their own inspiration and their own ascension and really try to get humanity on the right track for figuring out what is all good in this world. And there's so many wondrous things out there to explore and do and whatnot. And so that's kind of who your characters end up being as part of the Saiyan Society for Gentlemen. I know that's a lot of setup. Like I said, it would really make a, probably a much better movie or set of novels than, than a role playing game. But it's a very fascinating setting, I think, to to play in. No, it's it's depth, but it's it's
1: setting a stage to for an entire feeling of the story versus here is a giant world and within that world you have all of these things. Mm-hmm. There's no unified energy forward. Now there is. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um and so Already you've kind of got the groundwork for a, a hopeful, uplifting sort of pulp-style game where you want to be the good guy, the heroic person. Um, but unfortunately, good guys weren't the only people who were inspired. You've also got bad guys like the ubiquitous dragon and, you know, uh, also a, a sort of rogues gallery that, that appeared out of this as well that are all right. larger than life sort of Dick Tracy sort of villains, you know. OK. Um, so what what then makes it a good game? uh lots lots of things i think um yeah so from from a rule standpoint um i i really liked uh the white wolf storyteller system uh i grew up playing oh yes it's a, the, the an society for distinguished gentlemen and ladies they were very maxwell was was very keen on uh pointing out that just because the word gentleman is used it's not a gendered specific that you know there are there are exceptional folk of all genders um the so it's based off of the uh, the White Wolf storyteller system and um, what I really liked especially about the time that I started playing it is I will say ask one thing. Sure. Not everyone knows
1: White Wolf. Okay. So what uh, what dice are used?
0: Okay. So with the with White and Wolf And how do you, how do you play ba- I mean in a very simplistic form? Sure. White Wolf systems in general are are um played with just handfuls of d10, 10-sided dice. Um, so you're not going to use when, your,
1: when, when Sarah says handfuls, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean sometimes
1: it can be a boatload, but in most cases we're talking a boatload is about 10.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I've seen as much as like 15 or so. You it, get a... it takes a bit. Like when you start playing aberrant, you can start getting into like 20. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's, that's like, but that's aberrant though. Correct. Um, so, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to do, uh, you're going to have a target number, um, Well, you're, no, no. Cause in storyteller, it's a standard target number. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I apologize. I've got previous versions of Vampire the Masquerade floating around. Dude, I'm going to be
1: head. messing up mine by the time I get
0: to it, so <laughs> keep going. Uh, but typically what it is going to be is, is a stat plus skill. Um, your right. your stats are going to have ranks, one through five. Mm-hmm. Your skill is going to also have rank one through five. You add those two things together. So if I've got three strength and two in melee, I'm going to be rolling five dice. G- and there's plus a three. target number. And there will be your standard target number is six. Mm-hmm. And so anything I roll on those dice that comes up a six or higher – it counts as a success. There you go. Anything that doesn't, it gets discarded as a failure. And then uh, – so when I roll my dice, I roll my five dice for this and I tell my storyteller, OK, two of those five dice came up sixes. So I have two successes. Does that match the amount of successes I needed to do this task? Right. Um, and so it's pretty simple to understand in that way because you um, – uh, that's really how just about everything in the game runs. Um, certain things will give you automatic successes, so it may say, okay, you start with two successes just because you've got this ability or you've got this item, and then you roll dice on top of that. Um, there are uh, things that may modify how many successes you need. You may need to roll several times and accumulate successes, but it's all basically just add a stat, add a skill, roll that many dice, go for successes. Um, so I really liked that. Um, it was very familiar with me because I did have a background in White Wolf's previous games. Oh, yeah, definitely. But um, a lot of those previous editions of the games, at least up until that point, had like shifting target numbers. Like it wasn't always six you were aiming for. Right. Um, the storyteller system that the entire Aeon verse uh, and uh, Adventure included um, cleaned a lot of that sort of stuff up. So when I was growing up on Vampire – I came across the Aeonverse adventure and stuff like that, and all of a sudden it was like a better version of those rules. Right. And that was, was such a relief for me.
1: Well, I mean anything – the the joy of simplification mm-hmm. makes the game quicker. Yeah. The moment – I mean I'm not saying that games that have crazy target numbers that shift up and down like Shadowrun's Notorious for Doing doesn't make that interesting, but it's a different type of gameplay. yeah, yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. there are people who really enjoy the number crunching. Um, I mean, I enjoy playing Battle Tech for the same reason. Oh, sure, but that sure. those those shift in the same way. But I, I can see the value of it for mm-hmm. this for you.
0: Uh, so in the rule system, uh, you had uh, things that you know kind of kind of uh, exemplified how your character became inspired um, and what, what you know made them what they were. Right. Um, and so what you had actually was a lot of things, and it was it was it was nice because it was subtle. Mm-hmm. OK, so in White Wolf systems, typically you've got things called backgrounds, which are things like contacts or resources or, sure. you know, they're just kind of aspects to your character that are kind of attributes, but not really attributes. Right. You know, how much money I have in my bank account is, is an attribute I have, but it's not like, you know, an attribute. Right. right. Um, and so what they had was like levels like all all these things go up on a five scale. They mm-hmm. had level six backgrounds with titles like sanctum sanctorum yep. which was the uh the the lair background or something like that um and then they had the like the resources background level 6 was called wealth beyond avarice and it literally was like oh did you have a small kingdom that you called your own what's the price on it never mind i've already bought it you know <laughs> Uh they are the type of people who just at at any time have millions just liquidated that they can just throw around. You know, if you want to be that rich billionaire that 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 the globe trots, that's your that's your thing. Um so those made for some really interesting things. Uh, even like Sanctum Sanctorum, um, they were saying like, yeah, sure, sure, you can have like a secret lair, but like do you want to have like a floating castle that floats on the clouds with like a lightning generator gun on there, you know, something ridiculous like that? Yeah, sure. Sanctum Sanctorum, you can do it, you know? Yeah, because it's that level. <clears throat> it's that level. Like, right. like whatever – your level six is like take it to the most ridiculous levels ever. right. And the system allows for that because
1: that's not the important thing. like it, what happens there is is going to be specific,
0: but it doesn't degrade from the story or the game. yeah, exactly it, 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 but it, but it adds to it with that level of excess, and that's that's the other thing that I really liked about the game, but I'll, right. I'll get to that in a minute, right um. The the second thing that I really liked about the rule system was the dramatic editing system. Yes, this All is right. one of the things I love about it. So in pulp storytelling, it's filled with amazing coincidences. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, times where your hero goes, "Oh no, it's okay. I know a guy," and there right. just happens to be this guy who has nothing else going on, who owns a plane, who can fly you across the Sahara Desert to the and knows where the temple is. Well, I mean, if you
1: remember from uh, the Incredibles, she the the wife is like, I got to go get him, so she she makes a phone call to one guy and says, "Hey, I need to borrow a plane." Right? Oh, you got it. Where whatever you need, honey, you know, and he just knows her. Yeah. And she goes and gets this beautiful fast jet. Funny enough, the fastest type of that jet that exists. Mm-hmm. They actually did their math on that. It's the
0: fastest jet you can commercially as an individual buy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but anyways, this is the, the dramatic, dramatic editing um, is a way to kind of spend your, your, your inspiration points, which are kind of like your raw resource. Mm-hmm. Um that everybody has access to uh, to just interject into the story. Um, Oh, actually, it says here on my story, on my uh, my my character sheet that I made my money as an architect. OK, where are you going with this? Well, for one inspiration point, uh, you know, the the, 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 the Nazi scientists are busting down the door here. What do you say I, I I I wrote the plans for this very building? Oh, OK, you're an architect. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so I happen to know that there's a secret passage behind this stairwell over here that'll get us out of this situation mm-hmm. oh okay sure spend a point of inspiration that's good dramatic editing you know yeah yep. like, oh our 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 cargo plane crashed in the middle of the Congo okay well for three inspiration points what do you say that there was another plane that crashed nearby that has some basic supplies on it like food and water and whatnot you know not good stuff but like trail rations and maybe a couple blankets. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. We'll let that happen. Yep. You guys crashed near another plane. Boom. Mm-hmm. You Boom. know. Yep. And it's just those amazing coincidences. Yep. Um. The last thing I will say is the knacks. The knacks are what really are kind of your, your quote unquote superpowers. Sure. Um, and those really spoke to me. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's basically three not quite character classes, but more kind of like archetypes. Um, right. so you've got mesmers who basically use mental powers, these right. are people like the shadow who can cloud men's minds, right? Or use like minor telekinesis, things like that. Uh, you've got stalwarts who are almost superheroes from the standpoint of they push physical limits to extraordinary levels, like, um. Uh, Captain America is kind of yeah he's a stalwart. kind of a stalwart he's a, yeah. kind of
1: the far end of it but he's yeah. the
0: very far end of stalwart yeah um uh, who's uh, is it Jaws from, uh, odd, from job, uh, Jaws. odd Job Jaws Jaws you know a guy who can literally take a gun and eat it yeah like okay he's he's still technically human but damn yeah you know yeah uh, that that's kind of where your stalwarts Uh Indiana
1: Jones when he was fighting the brute in front of the plane.
0: Oh, is it the one he like you know, throws like a flurry of blows into and he basically just like looks at him? The guy just
1: pushes him down and like throws him three feet back.
0: Yeah, he's kind yeah. of a stalwart. Yeah. OK. And then you've got what Indiana Jones is, which is the Daredevil, which is right. my favorite. Right. Because these guys are just thrive on just being either really lucky or really exceptional to like heroic levels. But you can never quite say that they're unrealistic. Right. They're just dudes. But holy cow, are they good at what they do? Yeah. Um Amazing pilots. Right. Unbelievable drivers. But but even more than that, though. Okay. Right. The the knacks for Daredevils do things like this. Um uh one of them is called uh, vehicular hazard or something like yes. that. So I remember that. The rules for this knack are if you are ever in a chase scene, period. Okay. It does not matter what you are driving, whether it is a rickshaw, whether it is a biplane, whether it is a Model T, whether you are riding a horse. Mm-hmm. If you are in some way piloting something that can be loosely described as a vehicle, your enemies who are pursuing you will will not have a chance to will suffer calamitous disaster in their pursuit. This is the thing that makes like cars hit a a vegetable cart on the side of the road and flip violently and then explode. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it goes into several details of ways that these scenes could play out. But like all those chase scenes where things like that are happening, and you're going, that's so unrealistic. Those are the things that happen to people who take the snack. Right. Another one of my favorites is called Perfect Privacy. Mm. Perfect Privacy says like this. If anybody ever tries to spy on you or glean information without your knowledge in any way, whether they're trying to read your lips, whether they're trying to look over your shoulder at what you're writing on a piece of paper, does not matter. If they are trying to surreptitiously spy on you, they fail. Do not roll dice. Mm-hmm. They fail. Right. It will be things like, okay – so the secret meeting is taking place at <laughs> a clock. Yeah, that's what they get. Yep, uh, a a string concerto will will uh, will strike up. You know, a a uh, or a string quartet will strike up a concerto at exactly that moment where you're giving the pinnacle information, and it will glean nothing from it. Um, it's just it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Um, all right. So, I talked a little bit about the game system. I know I'm running mm-hmm. short on time. You are a little bit short. A little bit short. A little bit short. Uh, the setting. Just want to talk a little bit about that because I think the setting is phenomenal. First off, I don't think I've ever seen another game set in the 1920s.
1: Um, directly, no. I would agree with that. I don't. I don't think there has been. Yeah. I mean, there probably are a few. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine. Like, I'm. I'm trying I can't to, think
0: I, of any off the top of my head. <sighs>
1: I know there was one or two that were, but they were not – I would say they were not mainstream. Mm -hmm. I mean I'm sure uh, if Overwatch was listening, he would be fighting with
0: us right now, but he's probably played all of them. (laughs) Um yeah, Knox is, Knox is actually saying Flash Gordon. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, to be honest, I really haven't watched Flash Gordon. I found it a little bit too campy for me. But I think Flash Gordon is maybe camp and not pulp. It is camp. It is pure camp and not pulp. Okay. Okay. Good. It then. is.
1: I would. I was gonna eventually get back to the Flash Gordon comment, but it is total camp.
0: Yeah. 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 Um. But but close. Camp is a close neighbor of pulp. It it is. It, but camp
1: can also push a lot of other like. Uh, what part? Like, what does it really sit in? It is space opera, in uh, in that style. Yeah, yeah. So, is it Star Wars done camp? Because that's kind of what it is, mm-hmm. you know. Or is it fantasy done camp, which it, it could very well be, yeah, you know, yeah. high fantasy done camp. So,
0: um, so I, I like the setting. Um, yeah. I like the 1920s. I think it's a, I think it's a very cool setting. Uh If you ever watch Boardwalk Empire, now just imagine that with heroes, yeah, heroes and villains in it. Yeah. Um. Pulp is just fun. It's just a really fun style. Like, um, you get to have, like, so this isn't something that happened in game. This is just our mutual friend uh had a character concept for a mad scientist mm-hmm. um that dealt in uh uh he, like human DNA and genetics. Mm-hmm. But like nineteen twenties, so again, we're talking mad yep. science, cutting edge technology here right. of um essentially giving herself controlled mutations to give herself superpowers. Right. Named Dr. Gene Splicer. Yeah. And I groaned and I shook my head and I said, That's perfect. Please use it. <laughs>
1: Vicky's name, Uh,
0: uh, yeah, Gracie Demure, yeah, she was a movie star spy, yeah, based off of the Matahari, yes. Um, was amazing. Your character was Seamus Finnegan, just this, you know, Irish Bruiser. That's
1: all he he was just a tough guy, just an
0: Irish Bruiser. But you had some amazing knacks that were just like, you know, you get get combat bonuses the more you're outnumbered, right? Right, yeah, um. We had uh, Doctor Lawrence Critcher, who was sure, uh, yeah. who was a, a uh, anthropologist and uh, uh, or zoo, a, zoologist, a cryptozoologist, zoologist. who had a, a a yeti companion. Yes, uh, which More, was just amazing. who wore a hat in a uh, suit. <laughs> I mean, just just these these are the style of characters you have, and these and they're perfect for the setting. You know, they're just this far side of of extreme, almost you know goofy, but they fit so well. Yeah.
1: With, and with the, with and, the pulp and, and yes, Knox, I was Seamus Finnegan.
0: Yes. So uh, um, and then uh, let's see. Here. I, so if it, it's a great setting, if you want to talk about um, you know, if you want to tell stories, like I said, about like, you know, Nazi robots from the dark side of the right. moon, uh, there's a story like right at the very beginning of the book where a villain uses an anti-gravity ray. Uh, that he's mounted on a satellite to tear a skyscraper out of the uh, out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And man, I think it's like even the Empire State Building, like yeah. it's it's something major. But like right. he uses that, and so then the group has to go and find out what's going on with this anti gravity ray, right? Um, and. Uh, of course, I want to you know circle back around to the story, the setting. Yeah. Um. I think the the characters are all very rich. The Rogues Gallery is amazing. Yeah. Um. And so on both sides, you've got a lot of great material to inspire your own stories, mm-hmm. and you can use as much or as little of it as you want. But if you do really want to he- heavily delve into who the Aeon Society is and use all those characters as background NPCs, you absolutely can because they're fully fleshed out.
1: No, I agree. I agree. To a degree, I like one of the things I will say that I like about it is that it has the feel of being able to jump right in that your characters are already established. Mm-hmm. and because it is very heroic, there's reasons for them to be together.
0: yeah, yeah, and,
1: and it makes it very it makes it feel like that's easier to pull people together in that story.
0: Uh, in fact, um actually, you know, I, I just remembered actually uh uh yeah. one of our one of our Patreons. Yes. Uh the, the name the reason her name is Ela on on Discord with us is because that was the name of her adventure character, Elame Hawkins. She was our barnstormer. Yes. She was an ace biplane pilot.
1: Who could pilot anything. anything?
0: But the uh you guys were doing like a train heist and she was like you know, literally like matching the speed of the train and dropping yep. you guys yep. off like without problems. Yeah. Just yeah. just amazing. Lands
1: j- two cars down.
0: Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close up on that. Okay. Adventure, uh-huh. adventure is, uh, it's it's a little hard to find. You can find it on Drive Through RPG. Yes, um, the books themselves were exceptionally rare mm-hmm. because it was canceled, bef- basically before it hit the hit the shelves. Yeah. Um. So if you can find a book, pick it up because you're you're looking at a treasure there. Yep. But uh, you can find it on Drive Through RPG, um, in PDF form, and yep. uh, yeah, look into it. It's a great game. Well, excellent. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers. It was excellent. Well done. Well done. And I passed the torch. Oh, thank you. So what game are you going to tell us about, Rob? Is it a game you may have mentioned once or twice here on this very show?
1: No. I never talk about this game. Uh, No. I love 7C. Nox,
0: you you actually found the book? Oh, nice. Congrats. Good grab, man. Good grab.
1: So um, uh, I will say this. Uh, There are uh, Trinity books that just came out off of their new Kickstarter. Uh, that are Aeon Society books. Oh yeah. So okay. the the future stuff is there. Mm-hmm. You, that literally they just finished their Kickstarter. I've started to take a look at it.
0: Yeah, it's uh oh, was it Obsidian Games or yeah,
1: yeah Obsidian yeah. Games and owns, owns a
0: license to it now. It's
1: interesting. It's different. Don't those aren't connected as far as setting and such as if you if you think you're going to be an adventure game and then move to Aeon, they're they have a very different feel. Yeah. in their positioning. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, so seventh C. Uh, there are two editions of it. I will be speaking to first edition. Uh, it is not that I dislike second edition. It's that I'm not quite comfortable talking about it just yet because my framing still sits around first edition. Um, 7C is high hero adventure, and I I say that it's set in a pseudo-historical European myth and legend. Um, so – When I say high hero, what I mean is the players play heroes that are almost indestructible um, except in the presence of a hero uh, or a villain or a henchman. Um, So literally the game points out to the fact that this is that your heroes are meant to be heroic. They're not there to die from – a brute, you know, shooting them with an arrow or a bullet or or their ship sinking or oh, a tower roll. falling or, oh, you didn't roll any successes or uh, whatever. Pit
0: trap and yep, there you go. That
1: is not how yeah. you die. That is how you get knocked unconscious. Get that is how you get captured. Mm-hmm. That's how you get lost at sea. That creates drama. That's it. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking of Seventh Sea, think of movies like Three Musketeers, Man in the Iron Mask. Uh, you Prince's know, bride? Uh, Princess Bride. Yeah. Zorro is another good. Thirteenth Warrior actually is a really good example of oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dangerous Beauty if you're familiar with the romantic aspects mm-hmm. uh, and and more social aspects. Um, any – honestly, any of the uh, recent uh, crown movies of Elizabeth are all good examples of that. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rob Roy, perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, so these types of movies where you have a hero who is – literally carried through the whole story where you he, where he, moments you think that they're gone they they must have died from something and they, they just don't i mean if you okay i'm gonna flat out <laughs> say it if you've seen hudson hawk yes that is a high hero fantasy <laughs> that's, that's uh, also that's also by the way something you can pull off in adventure <laughs> you definitely can pull that off so always always think about that it is very cinematic mm-hmm. um there's a lot of of cinema that comes into it because it feels very much like you have these unbelievable scenes where the it is not uncommon in seven seas to have your, you know, five or six characters sitting around having a discussion and thirty brutes, you know, two brutes break down the front door and all these other ones pouring from the walls and someone does a count and go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh. 40 to 1. Finally a fair fight. Let's do this, gentlemen. You know, you know, that's that's a common throwdown yep. <laughs> in the world. And there are ways to a- interact that whole story in 7C. Mm-hmm. Um and it is deep drama. We're talking characters having um tv or show like moments where you've got a scene you've got characters you've got depth it's like telemundo everyone's intense with their feelings (laughs) and 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 it shows it comes out in the play drama is is what is bought and paid for in this game Mm -hmm. there's literally drama dice in the game uh it is a 10 a d10 game uh instead of using um Success is based on numbers. It's based upon totals. Uh, so for instance, I might roll three dice, uh, three 10 sided dice, and I'm looking to get a total of 10. My, my target number is 10. And I might roll 15, 20, you know, on those. And some of those dice, if they roll tens, I can re roll. They explode. And I can just keep re rolling those as they roll tens. And believe me, it happens more times than not. Um, So for every success I get above that, I get a raise. Um, Sometimes as a storyteller, I do raises. So I say that something is challenging. I might talk about raising – the difficulty, so it goes mm-hmm. from a ten to a fifteen, or I might explain like, "Oh, these brutes are going to be on this style of a ship, so your target number is now a ten to you know is a twenty to hit them and it's so it's getting challenging to try and handle these situations, so at times players may take and grab from their drama pool and add to their dice, even after they've rolled it just mm-hmm. to see if they get a success um so, kind of gives you a feel for kind of where the world is at. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about this world setting because it is thick. Um, there are many world books uh, in this because each country has its own thing, its own blood, uh, and that makes for a lot of content.
0: So, at at its core, though, it's kind of just a rewritten 17th century or 16th. 16th century 16th century Europe correct it is it is the turning
1: of 16th to 17th century Europe for the most part mm-hmm. but there are shit all
0: out of place <clears throat> um like timeline wise and and again it's not Europe but it's very heavily influenced by it
1: yeah. To, yeah. to the point where essentially so. you've
0: got French people who are not French, Germans who are not German, Spaniards who are not Spaniards. Correct.
1: <laughs> so so let me kind of, I'm going to quickly try and break this down as best as I can. All right, go. Um, I'm timing you. Whew, all right. Uh, Avalon, which is England, mm-hmm. is ruled by the High Queen Elaine in her circle of knights. Yes. It is kind of like a mashing of contemporary uh, England with our historic king arthur view and what there, what, it,
0: what shape table would a circle of knights sit at?
1: a round table okay okay and and just checking and at the center of said round table is the cup uh huh which is a chalice uh-huh. given to them by a magical creature uh-huh. uh and yes there's a dearwyn who is there who is their wizard who sees both the future and the past at the same time uh, you have A route near Avalon, actually part of the Isles, uh, is Innsmore, Ireland, uh, ruled by uh, a a very aloof mad Jack O'Bannon. He is a crazy man who is crazy to most people, but uh, it is because he has been touched by the fae. Uh, a mythical race that lives within these lands and a few other places that are basically fairies uh, who have their own court. We're not going to get into that. Uh, the Highlands, which is Scotland, uh, which is Loose Tribes now rejoined by Robert, uh, who actually has a thing for Elaine uh, and it's hard to say. Uh, we then move across the sea, uh, to, uh, to, uh, Castillo, Spain, uh, where a youthful king whose brother is now was missing and he's filling his place refuses to take the crown, uh, to await his return. He is flanked by religious pressure, the Inquisition, mm-hmm. and loyal followers of the original crown who are actually kind of Zorro helping the people. Um, they have a very, I'll say, fiery, Heart, uh, (laughs) And their blood comes forth, the fire magic. Uh, You then have Eisen, which is kind of a German-Austrian-Poland-Hungary smash together um, that is barely surviving after their very violent civil war that then turned into uh, an invasion by the other countries when they realized how – Thin they were, uh, so they are. They have broken iron princes who own their lands, but it's salted and burned, uh, and they're barely able to hold on to the one thing of their past, which is their draconizen, a specialized metal that only they can work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are some of the most hardy fighters. Um, Vodachi, <laughs> I love saying that. uh is Italy and Greece kind of combined? Uh it is. The Isles of Princes. And this is where like all of your subterfuge comes from. These yeah, are yeah. these are men who literally plan when and where people will die and live and rise and fall. And yet just underneath that layer of masculinity is this feminine control by the fate witches? Mm-hmm. Women who literally can see the strands of fate in the air and change them at will. You talked a little bit about that uh, in our in our uh, divination episode. I did, yeah. I did. So go back if you want a little bit more. Uh, but it is it is a ruthless place where the great game is played. Mm-hmm. Uh, Machiavelli, very much so. Yep. Uh, Usura, which is far to the uh, the eastern edge of the known world, is the cold land not unlike russia um it is unforgiving mother winter may or may not be a thing but they all sure as hell believe in it Mm -hmm. uh but their orthodox faith keeps them tied uh to each other and to family but the castes are very very divided between the haves and the have nots uh so there's a a deep war that's happening there between uh who should have the crown and who has the crown and who is part of the people and who isn't uh there's a lot of uh very very interesting uh myths and lore and if you're if you're down with what happened uh with some of the monarchs of Russia uh you, there is so much you can read into there and, and and get through um then passing back over we have uh Montaigne which is France ah, at, its, at its height just prior to revolution where everyone is affluent and rich except for the poor who are dirt-freaking poor. <laughs> um, but
0: uh, we do not talk about them. We do not. not we do not. not terribly We much, do not. No.
1: Uh, the musketeers no. are there uh, and they protect the king. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the king understands that they may be getting a little bit strong for their britches. Um, he's an outward caster himself, which is odd and against the the, the church and yet – The church doesn't totally want to alienate themselves from him. Uh, But revolution is right around the damn corner for that place. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the north, we have the Vendel and Vestin. Uh, which is basically Norway and Sweden, where you've got two very distinct cultures separating from each other. You have the old ways, uh, the Vestim and Havanyar. And if you can say their name, you get to actually have a character. Right. This is Uh, why,
0: this is why I've never played a Vestin, because I can't complete the rest of the name. They're just Vestin. That's right.
1: Uh, and, uh, they believe in the old ways, the runic magic and, and sailing and conquering.
0: Whereas the Vendal are Would you say they, they come from the land of ice and snow with the midnight sun and the hot springs flow? Indeed they do. Those are the
1: very same ones, okay. and they do have cats. Okay. Um uh, and their magic comes from this deep runic magic, mm-hmm. uh that uh they literally carve into things and gain power. Uh whereas the Vendal believe that they could probably own the planet, literally financially. Uh and may just do that if they continue what they're doing. Um very, very merchant, almost Ferengi, if you're familiar with the, uh, with the nomenclature. Um, and last but not completely least, there are a few other places, but mostly the pirate nations, and these are the 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 wild men of the seas who uh, kind of have their own agendas. Um, there are the seven seas themselves, uh, which <laughs> nobody dares crosses. Uh, because it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are tales of the ships going into the fog at full tilt and literally coming back out ghost ships moments after they go in. So so that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. There's also literally walls of fire in some sections of the Mediterranean type sea that's mm. there that block you from making your way into other lands that lay beyond.
0: And there are there are numerous named NPCs that are just pirates, just straight-up pirates. So yeah. like the seafaring game in this is uh, very Strong. well fleshed out. Yeah. yeah.
1: So he, with just a, base, just a base player book, you can do quite a bit. With the GM's Guide, you get a little bit more. But as you step into each one of the countries, there is this deep, rich history every single time you step into it. There's… Countless discussions about everything down to even small cities and what's happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly you get these strong NPCs uh, that you know their drive. You know their motivations. You might even know what they're currently doing but with just enough edge to say uh, they're working on a secret uh, artifact project that will bring their family power and, and re reestablish them as a prince of their area.
0: But not what it is. No. No, they but, leave that for you to fill. Right.
1: In. Now, you can go look up and see what artifacts might kind of give that general area, sure. but it it opens a lot of ground there. Mm-hmm. And, and these are general generalities. I mean there are definitely DM sections of these books that give you a bit more information about the inner workings behind the scenes um, that I'm not going to get into because mm-hmm. it's deep and thick and heavy. Rob um, told
0: me at the onset of this, he says, my, my biggest challenge is not going to be for talking for two hours.
1: No. No, it's going to be stopping myself from talking about all the things that are in this game. Um, But it is an incredible amount of information that is strangely generalized. And the reason why it can be is because Seventh Sea is based on myth and lore. If you can think of a fairy tale or a story about a certain country or a certain type of people in Europe, more than likely it's in Seventh Sea. Yeah, probably. I mean, people are like, well, what about Robin Hood? Yep. There's yep. a dude named Rob There's there literally a Robin Hood character in Avalon. What about
0: fairies stealing babies? Totally. Totally there. 100% that's, that's that thing. thing. Yeah. Oh, Zorro? Yeah, he's here. What about the, you know, what about Winter being an actual, like, you know, wrathful mother that looks over Russia? Absolutely. Totally there. Thing. 100%. Yep.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went so far as someone was just like, well, I bet that, you know, you know, you know, you get the whole thing. Well, I bet it doesn't have this. I'm like, so you're asking me if if the story of a. Wielding an axe, living in a woods, uh, and slays anybody who goes in for lumber. Yeah, that's called Redcap. He lives in the dark forest in Eisen. He is a legitimate character and has stats. Yep. <laughs> like these are things, uh, and those terrifying tales that that you know the history behind for um, you know uh, Hans Christian Andersen or um, or even like uh, you know the the true tale of Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Th- those are real. In oh, the the, seventh the, the world. Brothers Grimm. Yeah, uh, Brothers Grimm is huge. Yeah. Uh, so any of those tales, their truths that the, – of the original tales, not the flowery ones that Disney have told us, uh, are in this somewhere. You mm-hmm. can find them and sometimes they're hidden behind some very crafty storytelling. But you can find pretty much all of them yeah. and it's all beautifully interwoven in a history. Um So I, I love that about it. So I'm going to say – move in i'm going to try and step away from the history and start talking about a few things um magic in the system is tiered you won't you, you don't gain uh spells or slots or anything like that what it basically comes down to is your magic is driven by where you live where you came from your blood mm-hmm. um and there's a whole reason for that which is hidden in the game um that players discover um and it can come from a lot of facets, whether the Fae touched you and you have that, or whether it came from your family's bloodline and you have the Castilian fire in your eyes, you have tears of. Um, adept and apprentice and expert, and as you go through those tiers, as you place, you get dots that increase your powers. You gain knacks, abilities mm-hmm. that you can do, whether it's lighting a, f- a fire in front of you or at a distance or fueling it.
0: It sort of just opens up a toolkit for you within that within that spellcraft. So it's you're you're locked into like you know, for instance, my character is a montane mm-hmm. locked into porté, which is portal magic, but. There's several things within that toolkit that I can do. Correct, and yeah. and you
1: you are given flavor mm-hmm. to be able to to kind of explain what you're what you're doing sure. with it. As
0: long as the end result is whatever it says, you know, that this thing does. You know, right. I can move an object no bigger than fifty pounds. Sure, I describe it however the hell I want. Exactly, yeah. um, and
1: most of the powers are very visual, mm-hmm. very strong, very uh, very thematic, cinematic. Uh, yeah, and that's that's a reoccurring thing is that you always want to have a very um, strong uh, your players have a very strong view of what the world's doing around them. Mm-hmm. When we talk about porté, which is the ability to use portals, these aren't like portal the game where you're. Making oh. a portal here and a portal there. No, no, no. These are the Lovecraftian type of portals. Right. Literally, you're, <laughs> you're taking a knife and cutting a hole in reality. That and it screams and bleeds. bleeds. And then you open that hole and it's dark and visceral. And there's something there that's not quite human and not quite monster. Uh, as, as
0: event Horizon that as is, a, oh, is a great yeah, example. Yeah. yeah.
1: And when you step into it, the porte mages know to close their eyes because, as you pass through the gate, siren-like voices talk to you about opening your eyes. But then you step through the other side, and you're back fine. And the only thing is the smell of iron in the air and the red rust-like marks on your fingers, which never leave you.
0: And the uh, the, the rules say that if you do open your eyes inside one of these portals, that the DM should take your character sheet. And if they're feeling exceptionally cruel that day, they can tell you what you see. Yep,
1: yeah, that's that's literally the rule, and it's in the player section. Like, you do not open your eyes if you fail whatever you think you're failing, and open your eyes, hand your character sheet to the storyteller. You are done and lost. Period. That's doesn't it
0: doesn't say what happens. No, nope, that's says, it. It's over. over. It's over.
1: So, yep, yeah, sadness and, and 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 terrible things follow. Um, so some of the things that I like about this because I don't want this to totally demand things so I'm going to try and wrap this up um I love the pacing and the visualization the rules are pretty simple to pick up honestly um, it is literally roll and keep you're not keeping dice you're keeping a total mm-hmm. there's there's no really failure there's just not success right right and that's pretty much it so there's um the only thing that I think people get stumbling with on it that they have the hardest part is that the target numbers can feel very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Most successes are just straight up, you get better than a 10, you success, you make success, and then anything beyond that is a raise and you're doing better. Yeah. You know, you're doing something more successfully, whether it's you're doing more damage or you're gaining other things beyond it, or you, you just get dramatized back because it was incredible. Avec a plumb. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it can get very weird when like the the storyteller tells you, Oh, your target number is twenty, and you're like, why is it twenty? now they might get explanations but you're not thinking there's there's no hard rule set for that yeah, and that yeah. can get a little little challenging for some players um and sessions tend to lay out moment to moment or less moment to moment and more scene to scene meaning uh in 7C, c it is unlikely that you're going you know if your players are all meeting at a uh, a court you know a a courtyard talking to some npc and then they uh, uh, they learn about uh, the villain and what might be going on there, uh, and they say, "All right, well, we'll need to ride out. You know, you know, we'll we'll leave at first dawn by ship. The next scene might be their ship coming into harbor with them on it midday." Mm-hmm. So. We don't. We don't need to know about what provisions they got, or who they talked to in the bar, or how they got on the ship, or how tired they were. Yeah. We're just moving on to when's What's the next important
0: moment? It's. It's not as. It's not as much of a hard adventuring game as Correct. like D and D is, where like you keep you know careful track of your you know how many rations you have on Correct. your character sheet. It's like right. Where Where would the movie cut go? Correct. Is kind Correct. of where it is, and yeah. resources tend to really
1: dictate what you have and yeah. when you have them. So it's very fast and loose in that sense. So. Uh, it, it makes the pacing of the game much faster. Um, one of the other things is that oftentimes, like Sarah has said, you will see uh, when the antagonist is acting. You know, players will be like, okay, we did our scene and blah, 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 and we, oh, so we stopped the henchmen from breaking in and stealing the artifact, and they're running away with their tails between their their legs. Fantastic. And then the next scene is just an exposition by the the storyteller who's literally, you know, walking along a line of obviously beat, broken, and injured men and handing them, you know, as they lift out their hands, putting a gold in their hand and saying, I pay you and you do nothing. mm -hmm. I pay you and you do nothing and then finally gets to one guy who who looks relatively uninjured who's saying nothing and and they're you know and it, it is trying not is trying to look away is like and some of you fail at your faith and then he takes the coin and he does something with it horrific and makes all the other guys rethink their existence Yep, you know and that's the kind of thing that happens is it sets the stage you get to learn about the players get to learn about the antagonist they know what's coming they Mm -hmm. know the
0: feeling and the the timbre of the moment because it's not about springing that surprise on them necessarily and it's not about you know setting up a, a combat challenge for them it's about the drama  … Behind all of it, exactly, and exactly. it's it's almost more dramatic to know at that point what the villain's up to, and, right? You know, and see the see the villain in his natural environment. Right. You, you want
1: that monologue to come. Mm-hmm. You you want to know that the thing that's catching you off guard is something that's legitimately going to catch you off guard, not not what you would expect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a good example that I always like doing is like, yeah, when Richelieu is being fought in one of the last scenes of Three Musketeers, the Disney edition. Um, he you know his hen- his primary uh, side henchman steps out and starts fighting he's running away you know with the queen mm-hmm. like he's going to get away with her cuz if he gets away with her he basically wins but then he loses that option and ends up like i'm just going to take off and he's like sweet my my information's already been sent to england by the time i get back here i'm going to have a freaking army and you're going to have nothing and they're like wait we've got it right here nothing made it to england he's like you know what? Screw you. I still have loyalists and everybody out there. And then one of the players pulls their card and is waiting on the boat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, OK, that's cool. I'll accept that. Let's do this thing. you know. And that's how – and then Rishlew gets dumped off the boat and you're not sure. Did he drown? Did he get away? Is is he going to come back? Nope, nobody knows. We're going right. to find out in the next adventure. But he's thwarted. Exactly. And that's the story. Exactly. Yep. So – uh, so Seventh C has all of those pieces, those cinematic moments, um, and I spent years playing First Edition. I, I love First Edition. Yeah, I think it's got a wonderful root to it, and I think people should look at it. The books are still out there. You can find them on DriveThruRPG. Um, sometimes you can get them on sale, mm-hmm. um, so I highly recommend if you're interested in a different pace than D, and you want a system that's fun and adventurous and is a it's about kind of joy like my players laugh all the time but i've scared the shit out of them at other times yeah um go for it seven c is a great game system for that um and there's there's a lot of people who still play it it's kind of crazy yeah so
0: i think it holds up particularly well
1: yeah yeah, it is a cool system, Nox. I, I highly recommend it to a lot of people. Maybe, maybe play a game before you run a game, though. I would, I would highly recommend that.
0: Do we, uh, do we want to try to fit a a question or two in? Yeah, we got, like five, we got like five minutes. Yeah,
1: we have four we minutes. We have four minutes. All right, let's try and fit
0: at least one or two questions in. Um, I can, I can, I think I can answer veterans real quick. Do it uh, off the shelf system versus customized off the shelf system versus total homebrew. What's your preference and why? Uh, I'm going to say uh, total homebrew is completely out of spec for me. Um, yep. I've never written my own system. I find that completely daunting and that's an anxiety attack waiting to happen for me.
1: At this point in my life, if I was to brew anything, uh, it would be tweaking i I would I would pull a system out of another system and tweak it a little bit, which I do right now with seven yeah so. yeah, so
0: I would say probably our 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 agreed upon answer is customized off the shelf mm-hmm. uh because I don't think I don't think I've ever used anything rule as written completely you yeah. always tweak a little bit, yeah, but uh but yeah yeah. I think that's think that's where we are at.
1: I'm gonna say, and you guys probably hear singing in the background, we apologize it's one of those studios um I'm gonna say that we should jump to uh. I could do overwatches really quick. Okay. Um, what system have you tried that you could have, could have been your favorite and just missed the mark? What could they have done differently? Honestly, I freaking love Shadowrun. I love the universe of Shadowrun, but I feel they that there's something about the complexity of it that just makes it hard to make a character and and get into it. It, it you spend four hours building a character. And, and, and it just feels cumbersome. Like you're carrying a a full pack, Mm -hmm. you know, of character. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's just, ah, I wish there was something
0: lighter. I'd love to do 7C rolls in Shadowrun. (laughs) Uh, I, I'm going to uh, just. Put big ditto marks under yours because that was exactly my answer yep. for exactly those reasons.
1: Yep. I, I love a good system for that. So. Uh, I
0: want to hit May's, uh question because yeah. uh, we rarely get questions from Ila May She's I agree. one of our Patreon supporters and uh, I, I name dropped her earlier. Yes. Uh, so what's the one thing that puts your personal favorite system over the top? If you had to pick one aspect of the system that elevates it above all others, what would it be and why? Um, for me, the reason I like Adventure so much is because there's literally no other game that I know of that feels like it. Okay. It is a very specific style, and it's a very good. Like, it's uplifting. It feels mm-hmm. good to play adventure. You yeah. know, It yeah. feels good to be a little over the top with your characters and tell these great stories about these heroic things. And everybody in the group feels like they do something, and they do it well. And you get the villain at the end of the day, and you get to mug in front of the in front of the uh, the, the the sunset as your cloak flows in the wind or whatever you yeah. know. But it's just, it just feels nice to That's play adventure.
1: That's kind of my feeling about 7th C is 7th C is, is successful heroic adventure, and I love that. I love watching my players succeed. I love watching them get through a plot and not feel like they're struggling at the details, that every single time that they come to the table, they know there's something heroic waiting around the corner for them all, whether it's the player who's, who's the talkie or the player who's the stabby. You know, everyone is going to be at the table getting something dramatic and wonderful and special. Uh, And I think that really kind of puts it in its own place. And I love that about it. Mm -hmm. It's just it's fun and it's easy to get into.
0: All right. I think uh, I think we're all set here. Um, I'm just going to wrap wrap up the evening. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave. You can also find us on Instagram at st underscore conclave. And uh, you can find us on Discord. We would really love for you to join us there, join in the discussion, send in some questions for the for the show. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can find that link on Twitter. Uh, I've been tweeting it out pretty regularly. You can join us there. And uh, you can also find it in the episode descriptions on your favorite podcast listening device. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Who support us on our patreon we love the support it helps us immensely
1: if you know anybody else who'd like to listen to our podcast please direct them to our show um, but also direct them to our patreon page it would help us immensely you can find us at patreon.com storytellerconclave storyteller conclave but a big shout this week again to Knox thank you Knox in a box for helping us out this week
0: and giving us a wonderful show and if you too would like to suggest something for the show remember our top tier patreon subscribers get that privilege so. yes so our intro music is beyond the warriors by gee frog uh, you
1: can find them at gooey at GeeFrogMusic.Webly.com uh, Our outro music, which you're listening to now is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine That can be found at FreeMusicArchive.org as well. We record here at Podcast Detroit PodcastDetroit.com or Twitter at Podcast Detroit. Our engineers Caitlin and awesome as always
0: oh, A big shout out to our families, Vicki and Sean Thank you for supporting us and being patient with us All of our friends who've sat at our gaming tables throughout the years and you are listeners We love you